Hello, you're listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. We are a general interest independent bookstore located in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles, California. This year, because of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had to close our store and cancel in-person events. But Skylight is your neighborhood bookstore, and we are finding ways to create community even while we're far apart. In the coming weeks, we'll be putting out lots of new audio content to help you discover new books, connect with authors, and check in with your favorite booksellers. To learn more about how you can help keep Skylight alive, please visit our website at skylightbooks.com or check out our social media accounts on Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Hello, hello, lovely listeners, and welcome back to Skylit. This is the Skylight Books podcast series, and I'm your host, Maddie Gobo. I am the events manager here at Skylight Books. Um, Just so you all know, we have a brand new website, skylightbooks.com. It looks really nice. It's very much more legible than it once was, so we invite you to check that out. Um, The store is open right now, 11 to 7 on weekdays and 10 to 8 on weekends, if you wear a mask and socially distance and all that good stuff. Um, Yeah, so today we are going to be talking poetry. I love a poetry episode, um, and I'm just delighted to be talking about this very spooky and beautiful book of poems. Um, So our author today is Sai Ho'owai, and he's the author of Ancestral Demon of a Grieving Bride, which is out now from University of New Mexico Press. Um, So Ancestral Demon of a Grieving Bride is fractured storytelling for a fractured world. It draws readers into a world that appears eerily familiar, but it's unsettling as well. Fierce, visceral, sometimes funny, and wholly original, Ho'owai's poems will linger in a reader's dreams long after she's closed the book. And a bit about our poet today, Sai Ho'owai is the author of Velroy and the Matachai Mafia poems and the chapbook Night Cradle. He is Yapaituka Comanche and Southern Arapaho. Sai, welcome to the program. So happy to have you here. Thank you, Manning. Thank you, you for s- having me. Yeah. Um, where are you joining us from in the world? Can you tell our listeners? I am, yeah, I am just outside of Little Rock, Arkansas. All right. So, Pretty, yeah, pretty much in the hinterlands. <laughs> what, what's it like over there right now? What's the the weather? What's the uh, vibe? The well, we had really heavy snow probably a couple of weeks ago now, which we hadn't had in years, and um, so now it's seventy degrees, <laughs> muggy <laughs> and hot, and feel like someone's breathing on you constantly. Um, <laughs> That's so, the Midwest for you. Yeah, you know, or just, yeah, the South. Yeah, the South, I mean, the yeah, weather I... changes. Yeah, it's bipolar, definitely. Got it. Um, yeah. Um, uh, thank you for having me and uh, and for this opportunity to share my work and my thoughts about yeah. this collection. Yeah, I've I've really enjoyed the poems in here, and um, I actually found a couple of uh, recordings of you reading them on uh, Poetry Magazine, Poetry.org, um, and they're just fantastic, like so visceral, and um, there's so many great, like really sticky images in them, 
Um, so I would love to give our listeners a little taste. Would you start us off with a reading? Sure. I'm going to read the poem. It's from the collection. It's entitled Mourners. And um, I'll just go ahead and read it. All right. Mourners. The sister breaks the blade, cutting another's hair. The brother killed by a jealous husband. Tonight, a flood of calf birth sweeps in from the wildlife refuge. At the supper table, one with six fingers passes out plastic spoons. Another sister seasons the corn soup with gunpowder. Rolling up a pack of cigarettes in a short sleeve of moonlight, doctoring myself until I hear a stray bark. A dead brother hums a 49 song. Next morning, sunken reddish muddy sun climbs on clay, bone, stone, and a few fresh obituaries. One mourner wades out in the middle of starlings, rum chata, and coffee. The other uses grasshopper legs to pick the family locker box at Lake Bottom. The dead brother gives voice inside the throat of a stray. For the locker box, one mourner writes down family genealogy. The other writes about the ancestral demon. Dead brother hides from the others and burns their manuscripts one by one. I become the patron saint of empty tables. After the funeral, everything is dozing, abandoned. The only sound, the younger sister walking off to drink with a stranger where snakes and honeysuckle intertwine. That poem is obviously about uh, <laughs> the process of mourning. Um, and that's, I guess, a reflection of my own um, process of mourning, I guess, uh, as if I was trying to illustrate a picture book, I guess. Uh, I had a, this past decade, a lot of family deaths and just going through that and just trying to sum up that one decade, I guess. And that's what that poem's uh, tinging upon, I guess. So this poem um, uses the, the titular phrase, the ancestral demon. Um, can you unpack mm. that a little bit? Like, who, who is this um, demon? Uh, the ancestral demon, it, you know, it's demons such an iconic imagery through literature you know throughout the world but for me it can not only um contain that image of you know horns or bifurcated tail or you know or pitchfork but also like ancestral demon in the terms of what we inherit from our family mm -hmm. um the um not only the good, but also the complex, not necessarily bad or evil, but the complex and the unsettledness of our roots and our family and family issues and what, you know, people carry that with them throughout their life. Some people can manage it and some people cannot. 
So that's what that refers to, I guess. I think it's such a good phrase for this collection because um, so much, so many of your poems strike me as bringing the the otherworldly very close. Um, that there are yes. that there is this thin thinning of the veil, and that these things that we see as supernatural are really very much a part of our natural and familiar world. Exactly. Yes. Yes, and that and that's what I you know, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> that's what I was trying to shoot for as well is um you know, all of us to a point or another, you know, we kind of fluctuate, you know, uh with and not only this world and the other world, but you know, with the worlds we have and you know, we have throughout our lives like spouse, you know, coworker, employee um that as well and for me um to i guess exemplify that in a different way was to you know reach out to the other world and yeah i you know i love ghost stories of totally a spiritual person and that's always attracted me uh throughout my life you know ever since i was a kid you know the spiritual world or the other world that you know to I guess to make that concrete and to associate that with your everyday life. Um, you know, that's that's why I say, you know, we all wear hats or we are what walking in between worlds. Doesn't necessarily have to be spiritual. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think thinking about these different layers of reality, whether or not that has religious right. connotations for you, um, it, it kind of like, I think it's it's very similar to just poetry as a medium, right? That you're taking these kind of small, concrete details of that you've observed and burrowing down into the sub the substrata, right? Um, mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about the genesis of this collection? Um, where did it come from? Is there a particular moment or place or person that kind of was the seed here? Um, well, um, a couple of, well, a couple of seeds, uh, when I first collection, um, Velroy and Manichai Mafia, um, uh, the thinning of the veil was there too. And, uh, and I had a lot of good response, uh, you know, to that and other things about the collection. And, um, like I said, I was always interested in uh folklore occult um um you know i read weird tale magazines the old the old school ones and um that was always a seed that i carried or you know an idea I always carried about how can i do that how can i transfer all that into poems and not make it cliche-ish or or what have you, and also um, influences as well as uh, the oral tradition. I was grew up grew up in this Comanche oral tradition, and a lot of it, you know, are from children's stories, uh, ghost stories, and I wanted to um, really bring that to light uh, instead of, you know 
uh, creation story. Because when you say oral tradition, you know, the first thing people pop in their mouth, oh, you know, creation stories or, you know, where did your people come from? But there's another side to that. So showing the darker side as well, mm-hmm. which is, you know, part of, you know, that's another part of our old tradition. So I wanted to keep that alive. And um, so, yeah. And I guess also another another um, stimulus for me was uh, also, you know, ghost stories too. Like uh, from what I've heard around since living in Arkansas, what I've heard around the South, and uh, especially Kentucky, Cumberland ghost lore, that's fascinating. That's a, you know, that's a whole nother can of worms. But all, a lot of those influences have really struck with me and stayed with me mm-hmm. through my writing career. What is it about ghost stories that you find so compelling? Um, well, uh, several aspects. One, the the, I guess, um, the holding out that, you know, there is something beyond this life, of course, uh, even though it's, you know, with ghost stories, it portrays it as very um, unsettling, uh, sometimes askew, uh, but um, the element of, I guess, fear you know, as if you're riding a roller coaster or, you know, you meet me around, there's that factor. There's also the factor of some of these are based on uh, some of our stem from historical accounts, actual history. Um, they just have a lot of enrichment for me as informative and also as ideas as, you know, uh, when it comes to emotions, um, like the Japanese their beliefs or, uh, you know, the ghosts. Um, a Yuri is uh, created when someone had a tragic death or in the midst of rage or pain or sadness when they died and it left an emotional imprint. And I guess that's for me is what it is, the emotional imprint. Hmm. Yeah, and I think I think what you said also about ghost stories being a kind of historical record is interesting too, because like you're saying in the oral tradition, everybody thinks, oh, the creation myth is the most important story that we can tell each other. But these destruction myths or these, um, yeah, these myths of haunting are important too, to understanding who we are as people um, that, that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's, not, it's not all constructive. <laughs> like the, the human. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it shows, you yeah. know, you know, some ghost stories, you know, the children's stories, especially, you know, they kind of reinforce um, social behavior, uh, you know, respecting your elders. If not, then they'll, you know, they'll remember you when they pass on and they'll come back to you, you know, in a very, you know, uh, scary way to remind you of how you, you know, are. So it's, you know, it's uh, basically ghost stories, I think, too. Um, kind of display, uh, you know, social customs almost, uh, you know, um, actual, you know, uh, cultural references, you know, as to burial rites or, you know, or um, pertaining to revenge or, you know, 
um, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to bring up one of the excellent blurbs on your collection from Heidi er Erdrich um, says that Saiho Hawaii has perhaps invented Comanche goth. Uh, do you agree with that? And if so, how would you define Comanche goth as a as a genre? Um, well, there's well, you know, there's native goth. There's several uh, authors out there that you know their work has hit that caliber for Comanche goth. You know, I hope I am. You know, because uh, to show. Um, particularities of Comanche oral tradition or storytelling and to also help juvenate that genre from uh you know either it's poetry or fiction kind of help generate um different path or native literature that it's not necessarily about reservation life or urban life in the city or, you know, some type of identity crisis that there is, you know, another stream of storytelling, other subject matter that are just as important and just as pertinent as to explaining the indigenous condition in this country. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think what your poems do that's so affecting is that you you use um, these very, like like I mentioned at the beginning, these very visceral images, these these kind of like sense memories of, you know, a dead man's finger curling or worms crawling out of uh, a rotten food. Or like there, there are all these images in here that um, are very, like you see them. Um, there's like a cinematic quality that doesn't feel like it's the sweeping, you know, epic thing. It's like you are being dropped right into this very specific moment, um, this very specific sensory experience, um, and it's that's what is really chilling. Like you, you really feel them in your body. Yeah, yeah it's true. It's like it's like um, I have I have this phrase in my other collection, Delroy, Manisha Mafia. It's like you know, when someone gets attacked by a werewolf, okay, it's like, that is a hideous thing to experience, getting attacked by, you know, a werewolf, but what's more scarier is that we are living in a reality where that can happen. And that's more scary to me, because then there's nothing up to a lot of whatever can happen. And that's what I try to, you know, incorporate, like, um, you know, the world is still unexpected, so watch out, but also take it in because you learn, you know, it's a life lesson as it will make you stronger for the next tribulation in your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the poems are like, embracing. Yeah, not to sound like a therapy, you know, coach or anything like that. <laughs> no, no, I, I hear you. I think, I think the poems do, like, you leave the poems feeling um, fortified. Like, like you're ready to fight the demon, the ancestral demon yeah. out there. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> Who's to say if you'll win? But you know, you've got you've got the <laughs> gumption now. Um, 
can we talk a little bit more about kind of your craft and your process? Um, like, how do you, where do you start with each poem and how to, like, is there kind of a, uh, a natural progression of how it develops or is each poem kind of different for you in your process? Well, I get out a Ouija board and I'm just kidding. No, I don't get out a Ouija board. Um, um, I'll like have an idea. I'll stew around about it. Um, for example, uh, there's a poem in this collection, Ancestral Demon. Uh, it's entitled uh, Paniola and it's originally a song written by uh, Lucinda Williams, and I love her songwriting. I love her. She sings. It's like her voice is like cutting cornbread, and um, I like that song too. And there's been, um, you know, theories about uh, that song and who it's about. And so I ran with that idea. And um, so I'll do stuff like that, or or I'll read something very peculiar, and I'll still you know, noodle around my head for a couple of days until something comes out. I'm not a not a writer that gets up every morning. Hey, it's five o'clock in the morning, time to write. No, no, that's not for me. I just uh, wait around until something hits me, inspiration slaps me in the face, and. Um, yeah, but I have to I have to say that you know I have to uh, give uh, a big hand, a big kudos to Hyde because she approached me, she solicited, and at that point, um, for her anthology, um, I was not writing at that time. Pretty much giving it up because, well, you know, life goes on. You know, you can. Uh, Plan your life, but living gets in the way, and that's what happens. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, my wife and I had our daughter, and raising her, and you know, just doing the normal, normal, uh, normal stuff living. And so it went to high and hey, you know, I'm not doing you know, getting new stuff. And I'm like, no, she's well, you know, write some poems and we'll see what we'll go from there. And so she helped out with that from then on, and you know, it's all I do in my spare time. Do you have like right. a, sorry to interrupt. Do you have, do you have a writing community that you share your work with or are you kind of more of a solitary writer? Kind of, you know, kind of Dickinson in the attic. Basically, um, um, there's not, well, you know, there's a writing community in Little Robin. I'm in, uh, this is my town, Benson, and I keep to myself. And um, I'll have you know, my wife will read some, or if I'm really feeling jazz about one, send it off to a friend and see what they think. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Um, all right. So I want to switch gears a little bit. Um, let me think. So, okay. So there's a lot of, as I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of little sort of objects and um, cast-offs and insects and all kinds of small sort of totem-like things in your poems. Um, do you find yourself returning to certain images or um, or themes? And and if so, why do you think you keep coming back to those? Um, 
there's uh, there's maybe one image or uh, if there are like touchstone touchstone symbols or images. Yeah, yeah. Well, one's a cardinal um, that kind of shows up in a couple of poems. In the cardinal for uh, in Comanche tradition, cardinal being red. If you see one, it means good luck. And so. Um, if it feels right in a poem, I'll put that. I guess to you know to bring good luck to the voice in poem, or just you know, uh, uh, or just a glimpse of like hope. It's always you know, glimpse, you know, hope's always intertwined in any type of situation you're in, and I kind of find that. Uh, I believe that, but, you know, some people may not, but. Um, and there's also, you know, there's that, there's also, um, inanimate objects that come, you know, that take life, uh, like there's the, a grandfather's Bible that comes to life and, um, the course of severed finger, uh, it's, you know, once again, to show the uncertainty of, you know, of daily life or, you know, reality or, you know, certain ideas or, you know, um, like, uh, you know, there's sort of like not positive chaos that plays there. So you always have to consider that. Mm -hmm. I like that. I always like asking this question because then I get to imagine like the collage I would make of (laughs) your poem. So it would be cardinal. (laughs) dead finger (laughs) i love it um can you talk a little bit about uh the sort of the landscapes in your poems the place the specific sense of place that you're working with yeah um i grew up both in oklahoma and arkansas uh especially when my parents divorced uh i would um my father's family was from central arkansas so uh, a little bit of that has seeped in, especially in this collection. Uh, my first collection, it was more focused on Oklahoma and um, my experiences out there and how visceral those experiences were for me uh, geographically. And so I've taken that same step with the Ozarks, with the South, and you know, uh, how enriched that is with it, you know, with Southern literature and historically and all these uh, places now, uh, natural places, uh, like the Boston Mountains in West Arkansas and the Washita Lakes in the Southwest. And um, all those have been um, always stuck with me, even when I lived away from here. Because they're so beautiful and they're so um, such a rich history about them, especially with the Washita Lake system. Part of it was man-made, and they had to remove towns from the area to back in the 30s to make this lake. And uh, the removal of the town, and you know, you hear all these stories. Oh, they left like cemetery down there, or you know, stuff like that, which has always fascinated me. Mm-hmm. And so. Thing goes with the Boston Mountains. So, oh, uh, 
you know, so uh, and there's a great geography to, you know, to uh, experience in poems. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I really felt the the landscape had a lot of power um, on on the speaker of your poems um, throughout the collection. So, thank you for for giving us a little sort of tour. Um, so, my last question, and then I'll see if there's anything else you want me to ask about, um, is just sort of more broadly, what do you hope for the life of this book? Um, you know, what kind of readers do you hope it finds, or where do you imagine it going? Um, I hope, um, you know, of course, everybody's like, oh, awards, you know, or prizes. Uh, you know, prizes are for children. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, um, no, I hope, you know, it, you know, it um, resonates with not only readers today and in the future, and hopefully as a to book for you know Comanche Gothic or just for the study of uh, you know poetry American poetry you know that's what really matters to me you know as they say Tom mm -hmm. yeah I mean I think I, I think these poems really are so so alive in themselves and um in the land that they're set in and in the mind of of these speakers um and i really i hope that for the book too um yeah well yeah i just yeah and i, I forgot to say that um you know i hope it also strikes a line between uh, you know genres and American, you know indigenous literature and southern literature as well and to kind of break that barrier mm-hmm yeah, we, we're huge fans of genre bending here on the Skylight Podcast, so I'm all about that. Right on. That's, yeah. <laughs> um, all right. You, know, so, you can never go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mix it all up. It's better that way. You know, I was yeah. one of those kids that always had the suicide at the soda fountain, you know, all the flavors. <laughs> That's what I want. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so is there anything else I didn't ask you about that you want to talk about or you want to share with our listeners? Um, uh, go out and buy the book. <laughs> You'll uh, love it. It's great reading. So, <laughs> yes, I can vouch for that. But, uh, <laughs> but, well, I think we covered covered good. Covers good really good. Base. Yeah, really spooky and good. Good. <laughs> All right. Well, do you want to close us out with one more poem? Sure. Sure. Um, this is a yeah. Uh, thank you for having me, and like I said, is sharing my work and opportunity to you know to share with the community out west. So. Kung Fu being silent. It wasn't a hole. It was a howl, filled with pine needles, baby possum skulls, and homecoming. Pine trees stood in twos, like pallbearers. The bark read like scripture. Sunlight tore off into self-serving sighs. The day's entry written on the rising smoke of a long procession, driverless hearses and real wolves. 
Up when a tomb of antlers asks my shadow for its hide, to lay a needle on its groove, to hear its music. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been fun. This has been really fun. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, our guest today was Sai Hoawai. His collection is called Ancestral Demon of a Grieving Bride. Sai, thank you again for sharing your poems and talking with me today. It's been a blast. And uh, I love getting spooky with you. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody. Uh, We will catch you on the flip side. Thanks so much for listening. And um, keep reading. Order the book. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon. I see.